Well, we're in week number three of this series called Circle It. And just to catch you up if you haven't been with us in the past, this is a series about uh, growing in our faith by praying deeper and praying bolder prayers and really understanding the power that prayer has in our lives. And so we started this series um, introducing the legend of Honey the Circle Maker, which um, I first read about in a book called The Circle Maker, which is written by a pastor named Mark Batterson at National Community Church in Washington, D.C. And in this book, he describes the story of this man named Honey in the first century in the midst of a drought that literally drew a circle in the sand and gathered people around him, and he knelt on a cir- in the circle that he had drawn, and he proclaimed before God that I'm not leaving this circle until you send rain on the earth. A bold prayer that many of us wouldn't have the courage to pray on our own, much less in the midst of a group of people. And that day, he saw God send rain for the first time um, in a long time. And the legend of Honey the Circle Maker has been passed down by Jewish rabbis from century to century and generation to generation so that today we can look back at his story and understand the potential that prayer has for us. And so we've been talking about those impossible situations and circumstances in our lives that honestly are outside of our control, that if God doesn't move in those areas of our lives, they simply won't change. And in those areas, those impossible areas, we're saying that we want to spend our energy and our effort and our passion circling those areas with prayer rather than talking about them or getting angry about them or getting frustrated and worrying about them. And so in the midst of this series about praying for the impossible, uh, we introduced last week this concept of dreaming big and praying bolder prayers and, and not praying prayers that could be answered outside of God, but praying bold prayers that literally could not be answered if God doesn't answer those prayers. And many of us are, are timid to pray bold prayers. We're timid to pray prayers that seem impossible. Um, and a lot of that is because we haven't become convinced of the power of prayer in our lives. And so uh, this series is simply a, a cry for our church to, to pray that as we're beginning this new year, uh, it's not so much about changing something of us so that we have a better year. It's something about depending more on God so that we can have a better year. And this is the year. I believe this is the year that a lot of breakthroughs are going to happen in our lives on individual levels. I believe that this is the year that there's going to be a breakthrough in our church and we're going to see some growth and God do some new and greater things among us. And it's all going to boil down to the power of prayer and our willingness to commit to prayer and the prayers that we pray being bold prayers that honor God by trusting him to do impossible things in our lives. And we said last week that there is no prayer that we'll ever pray that will be intimidating to God. That he looks at our impossible situations and he sees a small opportunity to bless his children. And so we want to pray big, bold prayers. And today I want to talk to us about the way that we pray and the approach that we have to prayer and the ability that we have to see God do things even if we aren't experiencing them right now in this moment. So if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn with me to James chapter number 5. James chapter number 5. Um, and as you're turning there, let me just say that one of the most discouraging things about prayer is an unanswered prayer. It's the feeling that you get when you genuinely pray for something, but you don't experience the answer to that prayer instantly or immediately. Now, the culture that we live in has migrated towards an instant gratification 
approach to living so that we can literally drive through and not even get out of our vehicles and receive something that we want. Um, and we have this mentality when it comes to most things in life. We don't like to wait for things. We don't like to, um, uh, to be at a place where we can't get what we want now. And that sometimes filters over into our prayer life. And so when we pray for something and it doesn't happen right now, we tend to feel like either A, prayer doesn't work, and so I'm going to stop praying, or B, we tend to think that, that God's not going to answer this prayer. Maybe he's ignoring me, or maybe it's a bad prayer to pray, and because it hasn't happened now, I'm going to stop praying about it. Um, and my encouragement to us today, if you hear nothing else, is that we'll become more persistent in our prayers. That we'll learn what it means to pray through instead of simply praying to that rather than just praying to God, we've got to get to a place where we learn to pray through to where we know that we've given everything that we can in prayer because we want God to know that we are persistent in seeking Him and not necessarily seeking something that we want for Him. So as we seek God in prayer, there's a persistence that comes with it that's not natural, that a lot of us have to work through. Now, uh, researchers have studied and determined that it takes about 10,000 hours of practice for someone to become an expert at something. So when you look at professional athletes, most all of them have had at least 10,000 hours of practice to where their natural talents, their natural abilities have been cultivated, they've, they've been matured, that they've been refined, that where they are now is a long distance from where they started. And though they were granted talents and gifts to begin, they were cultivated. You look at professional musicians. The great, most successful musicians are the ones that aren't necessarily the most talented from birth, but are the ones who've worked the hardest and have practiced and, and dedicated their life to their craft. And, and, and you'll find that most musicians, most athletes, are incredible at one thing, Though they may be good at lots of other things, but there's that one thing that they're just great at, and it's not simply because they're naturally gifted in that area, it's because they've committed their life to that area. And if we'll commit our lives to prayer, if prayer won't just be an occasional cry for help when we're in desperate need of an emergency call to God, but it'll be a dedicated life that we cultivate our prayer life. We learn to grow in our prayer life. We grow as the effectiveness of our prayers is tied to our willingness to pray. If we commit our lives to prayer, then we're going to see more and more power that prayer offers to our lives. Now, before we jump into the story, let me just say this, that um, Prayer isn't necessarily something that comes natural. In fact, in fact, growing up for me, prayer was almost a chore. And I don't know if you've ever felt like this, but I knew that as a follower of Christ, even from a young age, that prayer should be a part of my life. But prayer didn't come easy for me. It didn't come naturally for me. In fact, when I tried to pray, I felt as though I was more in touch with everything around me than I was with God. And what I mean by that is, is this. I would... I would get in my bedroom maybe and, and I would kneel down at my bed and I would start to pray and I would be praying silently to myself and then I would hear a truck go by and I would wonder what type of truck it was that just went by. Man, that was a loud truck. Oh, here comes a motorcycle. And then I would hear birds. I wonder what kind of bird that is. And I'm supposed to be praying, but I'm actually becoming more in touch with the distractions in my life than praying. And I had to learn what it meant to pray. I had to grow in my prayer life. I had to learn to develop that 
relationship with God that's based on a conversation with him. And when you begin to understand that prayer isn't an art, it's simply a conversation between you and a heavenly father that loves you dearly and longs to have a relationship with you, then prayer becomes more natural. And as we spend more and more time in prayer, we begin to understand the effectiveness of prayer and we learn the prayers that we pray that aren't rooted on the promises of God and the selfish motives of our hearts that used to drive a lot of our prayers and our simple cries for help become more passionate pleas of expressing our deep gratitude to God for all the blessings that he's bestowed upon us and and how much we love him, and how much we depend on him. And as our relationship begins to grow with him, we begin to see that God offers more and more potential through our prayers. And one of the prayers that we're going to look at today was prayed by a man named Elijah. And Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament. We read about him in First and Second Kings. And Elijah prayed some bold prayers. And honestly, a lot of the prayers that he prayed aren't recorded in Scripture word for word. But there's, there's a an insight that this was a man that knew how to pray. This was a man who spent lots of time praying. This was a man who who was close to God and and was able to see God move when he prayed, much like Honey the Circle Maker. And, And I want for all of us to have a confidence that when we pray, God hears us. That it's not this this wishful you know, chance that maybe there's a God that will hear us if he's not too busy and perhaps he will listen to me. And if he doesn't think what I'm asking is too selfish, then maybe he'll find a way to kind of slide an answer to that prayer to me. But we're talking about a God who is eagerly awaiting blessings to pour out on us based on the prayers that we pray. And so I want to read James chapter number five, starting in verse number 17. It says, Elijah was a man just like us. What a great truth for us to embrace as we start this teaching this morning. That Elijah was, he was a prophet. He was a man who performed some incredible miracles. If you read about the life of Elijah, chances are you're going to say, I don't really see that type of activity in my life. I don't really see the miracles that followed this man in my life personally But the encouragement to us is that he was a man just like us. That the same answers to prayers that he received, we have potential to receive those same prayers. Likely, he just prayed bolder prayers than we pray. It says, he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. So here's a man who prayed, God, stop the rain. And God stopped the rain that affected a generation for three and a half years. It didn't rain. On the nation of Israel. That's a powerful prayer to pray. And his motives were rooted in that scripture. We're not going to dive into all that as his gift of prophecy was for that generation. But he prayed a prayer that God would stop the rain. And for three and a half years, he did. Verse number 18. Again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. I mean, here's a man that prayed prayers that affected nature. A man that prayed prayers that affected not just his own life, but the lives of everyone around him. That he would cry out to God that God would stop rain, and God would stop rain because a man asked him to. And that he would cry out to God again that he would send rain, and God would send rain because he asked him to. Now, this isn't a man that manipulates God. This isn't a man that 
demands God do things for him. It's not a man that's in control of the universe, but this is a man that understands the power of prayer. And this is a man that God listened to. And this is a man who is just like you and just like me that encourages us that we have the ability to speak to God and him move on our behalf, not because we're spoiled brats that are trying to tell him how to run the world, but because he loves us and he longs to give gifts to his children. Now, this stopping the rain and this sending the rain is found in 1 Kings. And I'm going to read a portion of his second prayer for God to send the rain after three and a half years of famine. This is 1 Kings chapter number 18, starting in verse number 42. So Ahab went off to eat the drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel. He bent down to the ground and he put his face between his knees. Okay, now, we're not going to read the specific prayer that he prayed here, but I think it's safe to say that if he climbs to the top of a mountain and he bends down to the ground and he puts his face between his knees, that he's probably posturing himself to talk to God. That perhaps he was getting serious about a request that he's about to present to God and he's about to cry out that God would move on his behalf. Let's see what happens. Verse number 43. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went and looked, and there is nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. So he's saying to his servant, go and look toward the sea and see if you see rain. Apparently he's praying that God would send rain. And six times uh, his servant goes and comes back and says, I don't see rain. And, and he's sending him back. Go and look again. Verse number 44. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Okay, He's telling his servant, go tell King Ahab that rain's about to come. I know he hasn't seen rain in three and a half years. That's because I prayed that the rain would stop, but now I'm praying that the rain would come back. And he just needs to know that he needs to hitch his chariot up and he needs to head home because he's going to get soaked. And so the servant goes and does that. Verse number 45. And meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose. A heavy rain came on. And Ahab rode off to Jezreel. Now, when I've read this story in the past, I've heard this story talked about. It seems like this took place in just a few moments, just a few minutes, right? That that Elijah climbs to the top of a mountain, he kneels down, says a few words to God in prayer, they go and check a couple of times, and then there's rain, and then they take off. But chances are this wasn't a 10-second prayer, this wasn't a 10-minute prayer. This was probably hours of prayer that Elijah was crying out to God. Okay, Now, the important thing for us to understand about Elijah in this prayer is the confidence that he had that God would answer his prayer because that's the source for the persistence that he has in this prayer. So if we look back earlier in this chapter, we're going to find Elijah here on Mount Carmel with prophets of Baal. If you remember the story, uh, the prophets of Baal had proclaimed that God wasn't real and, and Elijah had summoned them together, and, and they were going to have this showdown on Mount Carmel. And the prophets of Baal, if you'll remember, they, they, they built an altar to Baal, and they began to cry out to God, to their God, Baal, that he would uh, send fire to, to burn up the offering. And they began to scream before 
Baal, uh, they begin to cut themselves. We read about Elijah mocking them. Perhaps he's asleep. Perhaps he's using the bathroom. Maybe he's not hearing you right now. Maybe you should pray louder and he'll hear you. And we see these prophets that are crying out to their God and hearing nothing in response. And then Elijah says, okay, step back. He builds an altar. He digs a trench around it. He fills it with water. He saturates the entire thing with water. He prays a 58-word prayer. These are the type of prayers that I wish would be part of my life on a regular basis. He prays a 58-word prayer. And Scripture says that fire came from heaven, licked up not only all the water around the altar, on the altar, but consumed the offering because of a 58-word prayer. He goes down from the mountain to speak to the people, and now he's going back up onto that mountain again to pray. Now, if you've just said a 58-word prayer, and you've just seen sky, uh, fire literally come from the sky and consume an altar, an offering that you've built, that's saturated in water, we're talking about a confidence in prayer that God hears you, right? We're talking about a man who was in touch with the potential that the prayers that he prayed would move heaven and would move earth and would make a difference. And based on that confidence that he had in prayer, Scripture says when he got back on top of Mount Carmel, he knelt down on the ground, he put his, his head between his knees, and he began to cry out to God to send rain. But this time, 58 words didn't cut it. This time, a simple display of prayer in front of a group of people didn't cut it, that he says to his servant, okay, that should do it. Go and look toward the sea and tell me if you see rain. And the servant comes back and says, I don't, I don't see anything, Elijah. Like, I, I know that you just prayed and God just did that crazy thing. I was there, but uh, it didn't work this time. <laughs> there's, there's no rain. Okay, and if you're Elijah in that moment and you're saying, you know, God, I've just prayed and you've just sent fire from heaven, that seems much larger than sending rain on the earth. What's going on? What's different? Have I done something wrong? Are you mad at me? Are you not listening now? Have I missed the boat? You ever felt like that in prayer? My prayers aren't really reaching the ceiling. God's not listening to me. He's ignoring me. I'm wasting my time here. And Elijah had every right to get frustrated with God to feel as though God unfairly wasn't listening to his prayers when he had just performed this incredible miracle. But that's not what happens. Elijah understood something deeper than just God's answering power to prayer. He understood that sometimes you have to commit yourself. You have to pray through. You have to pray until something happens. I've heard someone say that prayer is much like pushing, that P-U-S-H, you have to pray until something happens, that prayer is a persistent relentless approach to God to move on our behalf. And just because you don't get the answer that you want when you want it doesn't mean that God hasn't heard you. And so Elijah looks at his servant after praying for some time more, and he says, go back and check again. And the second time, the servant comes back and says, you know, there's no rain. There's no rain. Elijah doesn't give up. He keeps praying. He keeps pushing through. He keeps, he keeps crying out to God to move on his behalf. A third time, a fourth time, a fifth time, a sixth time. Elijah, there is no rain. <laughs> you know, we've, we've been here a while. And, you know, the nation's down there and there's lots of things going on. Maybe we should just, you know, accept that maybe God's not going to send rain. But if Elijah, if Elijah would have stopped praying, 
after only four, five, or six times, chances are God still wouldn't have sent rain, but he was persistent. He kept praying. He kept crying out to God. He didn't give up. And somewhere in between the sixth and seventh time, something changed. Something happened. And God began to formulate this cloud that the servant came back the seventh time and says, he says, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. This small cloud. I mean, it's way out there. It's not very big, but it wasn't there before. And, and, and maybe we're getting somewhere. And Elijah sees that as an opportunity to move. He says, go tell Ahab, rain's coming. He better head out. Hook his chariot up. The rain's coming. And sure enough, it wasn't long until the, the rain clouds came pouring in. And this downpour replenished the earth. Because a man had confidence to believe God for something that he didn't receive immediately. But he had the persistence to keep crying out, to keep praying through, to keep believing. You might wonder, why in the world did we start with a journey song this morning? Because I simply wanted you to leave with this mentality that you don't stop believing just because you don't receive the answer to a prayer that you're praying in a moment. You know, there's, there's people who have prayed years for the same thing to happen. And God moves after years. I can't explain why sometimes we pray 58-word prayers and God moves, and sometimes we pray years for the same thing, and then God moves. But I know that 100% of the prayers that we don't pray will never be answered. And if we simply pray for something one time and we don't see the result of that prayer materialize like we think it should and we give up, then we're missing out on one of the blessings and the potential that prayer has for our lives. Prayer isn't simply a magic wand that we dictate what life looks like around us, but it's a passionate, humble cry to a loving God who wants to bless his children. And sometimes, sometimes parents just want to know that their kids are serious about something they're asking for before they give it to them. Right? You've told your children no, 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 and they've proven more and more that they're ready for what they're asking for. Some of you, your kids asked for a dog, asked for a pet, and you kept saying no and no, and they started saying, you know, uh, I'm going to get up and show them I'm ready for a pet. You know, I'll, I'll get up and walk an imaginary dog so that they'll know that I'll do it when the dog's here. And after time and time and time again of them asking and asking and persistently proving to you that they're ready to receive what they're asking for, we what? We bless our kids with something that we know that they truly want. And God sometimes loves to know that we as his children are passionate about the things that we're asking for. That we're ready to receive the things that we're asking for. And so there's action that accompanies the prayer. We don't simply pray prayers and then do nothing about it. But we pray prayers as if God is the only way it will be answered. But then we'll work as if we're the only way that it'll be answered. And so we allow our prayers and our actions to unite, and we create this persistent life in pursuit of God's promises for us. You know, there's this parable in Luke chapter number 18 that, um, as a parent, I've struggled with somewhat. It's a, it's a parable called the parable of the persistent widow, um, 
And on some levels, and I'll explain, but on some levels, this feels, uh, it feels counterproductive towards what you would think God would ask of his children. Let me, let me read this parable to us, Luke chapter number 18. I actually want to start reading in verse number 2. Luke chapter 18, verse 2. Jesus speaking here says, He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. So an ungodly judge, verse 3, And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. Jesus doesn't give us insight in this parable as to what the issue was, why this widow kept coming, but apparently she had someone who was opposing her. There was some injustice, and she wasn't willing to accept the injustice. And so she kept going to this judge, crying for his help. Verse number four, for some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. Now, if you're a parent, what's that feel like? Doesn't that feel like the parent who caves in to their children's demands? Like you've said no and no, and you're finally at the point where you're like, fine, have it. I'm tired of you coming and asking me. Have it. And you sometimes give out of this reluctance, like just leave me alone and stop asking. You're getting on my nerves. Here, have it. Enough. You've been in line at the grocery store, right? You've said no like 13 times, and they keep asking. They're starting to get louder, and people are starting to look, and you're like, just take the candy bar and be quiet, Right? And Jesus is saying that there's this woman that kept coming to this judge and kept demanding justice, kept demanding justice. She wouldn't leave him alone. He wasn't godly. He didn't care about people, but he didn't want to be bothered any longer, so he gave her what, he want, what she wanted. Now listen to this. And the Lord said, verse 6, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who crowd to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? If an unjust judge, if an ungodly judge will give in to the demands of this persistent widow because she doesn't stop asking, how much more will, a, will your God, your Father in heaven, who loves you and cares for you, how much more will he not put you off when you cry out to him, when you keep coming to him asking for the same things? And part of me feels like, you know, that's, that's kind of a hard thing to teach, but it's, it's almost, it almost feels like you can manipulate God, right? You know, give me a million dollars. No, give me a million dollars. No, give me a million dollars. Like, if I keep telling you, you're going to get tired of me telling you, so you're going to give me a million dollars. And I can get anything I want from God if I just keep asking, keep asking. And I've struggled with this. You know, God, surely we aren't to keep coming to you with the same things because you would have answered us earlier, right? But here's, here's the kicker for me as I reread this parable this week. Verse number one. Verse number one is it's kind of what does it for me. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. This isn't someone's opinion about prayer. This is the Son of God saying, this is how you should pray. When you come to God in prayer... You should continue to ask him for things and not give up. You should be like the persistent widow. You should continually cry out to God for help. When you don't receive what you're praying for, it's not necessarily a no. It's simply that you need to keep crying out to God and not give up. And that's sometimes a difficult thing to do in our life. 
And it's something that's not natural for us to want to keep crying out to God and keep begging God for the same thing over and over. I mean, surely after two weeks, surely after two months, surely after two years, God's not going to do this for me. But Jesus is saying, you should pray without giving up. You should continue to come to God with the same request. I know, I know you've wanted a new job for two years and you've been praying about a new job for two years and God hasn't given you a new job, but you need to keep praying for that new job if that's what you're believing God for. I know that you've been praying for that family member, that friend, to leave their life of sin, to receive the free gift of salvation. You've been crying out on their behalf and you, you fear for their life. They're making terrible decisions and and it's been four years, it's been five years, and you feel as though it's just not going to happen, but I just want to encourage you, Jesus says that you shouldn't give up, that you should keep praying, that there comes a time when God will not withhold from us the blessings that he has promised us. Now, that's not to say that God never says no, but the truth is, in my approach, is I don't know if it's no, and so I'm just going to keep praying. Now, if I never receive it, and I keep praying for it till the day I die. When I get to heaven, I'll be like, okay, I guess that was a no. But until then, as long as I don't find in Scripture that I'm praying against God's will, I need to pray according to his promises persistently without giving up. And you know, so many times God teaches me in the moment lessons about what I'm going to preach about during the week. And literally just last night, my little five-year-old boy, Landon, said to me out of the blue, hey, Daddy, I want to go with you early in the morning to church to help set things up. And I said, no, no, son, you can't go up there. It's, it's heavy stuff. You'll get hurt. It's early. You don't wake up that early. You won't, you won't like it. But Daddy, just let me come. Just let me come. Son, no, you're not coming. It's too early. You're not going to enjoy it. There's nothing for you to do. You'll probably actually get in people's way. We've got a lot of stuff that has to happen. No. A couple minutes went by, and he came back. But, Daddy, why, why can't I go? Like, I want to go and help you in the morning. And I was like, son, that's enough. No, you're not going. Stop it. And it was about 15, 20 minutes later, he came back, and he was kind of like, Dad, can I please go? And it was just like part of me was starting to get angry that he wasn't listening. And then it was like God just said, you're about to preach about coming to your father with persistence. And here's your son asking you, to do something that isn't bad for him, per se. Why would you withhold something from him? And I said, son, if you want to go load in with daddy in the morning, I'll let you. But here's what's got to happen. You got to go to bed right now because you're getting up at 5.15 in the morning. Is that early, daddy? That's really early, son. It's still going to be dark. You're still going to think it's nighttime. But is it still nighttime? No, it's morning technically, but it's still, I mean, it's still nighttime, yeah, sort of. But it's really early. Are you sure you want to do this? He said, Daddy, I'll set my alarm. He doesn't have an alarm. I said, Son, you don't have an alarm. I'll be your alarm. I'll wake you up. We set out his clothes, and I said, are you sure now? Mommy tells me that when she gets you ready for school that you're kind of grumpy in the mornings, and you like to fight with her about what you're going to wear, and you don't want to. Now, you're not going to do that in the morning, right? No, Daddy, I'll get up. I'll get dressed. It'll be fun. And so at 5.15 this morning, I walked into my son's room, and I shook him and woke him up. I said, Landon, you still want to go with Daddy? And he sprung up out of the bed. He said, where's my clothes, Daddy? Where's my clothes? 
Now, he only lasted about 45 minutes when we got here, and he wanted to sit on some chairs and go back to sleep over here. But for me, for me, I learned in that moment that my father isn't withholding things from me to make my life miserable. That sometimes there is an effectiveness that comes with the persistence in prayer, that comes with showing God that you're ready to receive what you're asking for, that comes with going to him time and time and time again, even when it's difficult and doesn't seem as though he's hearing you. And his silence sometimes feels deafening, but God isn't withholding things from us to torture us. Can't explain why some 58-word prayers receive answers immediately. But I know that Jesus says that we're to pray like a persistent widow who wouldn't take no for an answer. Like a man in the first century who drew a circle on the ground and said, I will not leave this circle until you see rain, send rain on the earth. Like a man who knelt on Mount Carmel after seeing God do some incredible miracles and he cried out to God not one time, but he, he passionately cried out to God. Even when the answer was seemingly no, he kept crying out to God, kept crying out to God. We need to be the type of people who circle the impossible situations in our lives with prayer. And for some of us, we're going to have to draw a lot of prayers. We're going to have to draw a lot of circles. That just drawing one circle, that just praying one prayer about a situation isn't going to bring the answer that we feel God's promised us. What's the impossible thing in your life that you've prayed about in the past that doesn't seem like God's answered it? What's that, what's that promise that you've been believing God for that doesn't seem as though it's going to happen, doesn't seem as if it's a possibility, that feels like you're pushing against a brick wall and it's not going to move? What are the areas of your lives that you've stopped praying about, that you've just accepted as are, that you need to start praying about again? And here's the promise from Jesus. If you'll come before your heavenly Father, persistent, not taking no for an answer, that passionate in your approach in prayer, that even if you pray over and over and over and hours and days and years about the same thing, you still believe that God can do something in that situation and you still trust that he will do something in that situation and you allow that persistence to drive your pursuit in prayer. For our church, it's that our church would double in a year. We've talked about in this series that as we started this year with 21 days of prayer and fasting, that for our church, that impossible thing is that our church would double in a year. And we're halfway through that year, and our church hasn't doubled, and it seems like it's an impossibility at this point that by May our church would double. But we're praying steadily, persistently, earnestly, faithfully that God will begin to send people, that the people that we've been inviting for years would start attending our church, that the people that we've been praying would come, would begin coming, that God would begin to send people to our church to help us accomplish what he's called us to do. What are you praying about in your life? What are those impossible situations that we've just accepted 
that we need to re-energize our prayers for and trust that God will do something incredible. We've got eight days left, including today. One week from today, next Sunday, concludes our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And I'm going to encourage you, if you have been, to continue. If you haven't been, to start. For these next eight days, including today, let's, let's fast something that's giving up something you love in pursuit of God, to seek God, to cry out to God, to deny yourself something, believing that he'll send something as a blessing. And pray. Pray faithfully. Pray earnestly. Pray diligently. Pray through. Don't just say a few words and accept that as the extent of your prayers, but pray through for specific things, not general things. And again, this Wednesday, for the third Wednesday in a row, we'll be meeting here at 5 o'clock for a time of prayer. It's an opportunity for us just to come together as a church. We meet in the last classroom on this hallway and just cry out to God and believe that he's going to bless our church, that we aren't accepting no for an answer, that he is going to do what we believe that he said that he's going to do in our life. And it's also an opportunity for us to pray with you for specific things that you're praying about in your life. Don't stop praying. Don't give up. Be persistent. Trust that God isn't silent because he's against you. God's for you. We just have to keep seeking him and keep crying out to him in prayer. I've begun to realize so many times in my life that I don't really have a lot of things big that I'm always praying about. And I'm trying to become more and more diligent in dreaming big and praying for big things in my life. And so I would encourage you to take some time this afternoon and say, God, what do I want you to do in my life this year? And spend some time circling it in prayer. Let me pray for us as we close. Father, we thank you for the relationship that we have with you that allows us to come before you boldly that allows us to ask you for big things, that allows us to dream big, that allows us to stand on the promises that you've given us in your word and believe that you can move in our lives and accomplish the impossible. When there's nothing we can do about situations, we can believe and trust that you can still move in those areas, whether they're physical, whether they're financial, whether they're relational, whether they're occupational. Father, you know the needs that we have in life. And I pray that prayer would be something that we commit our lives to. That it's not just a cry for help in a desperate time of need, but it's a way of life. And if we'll persistently pursue you and trust you to move in our life, then we'll begin to see you do things in our life that are undeniable outside of the grace and mercy of a loving God that moved on our behalf. And I pray for every man and woman and student here this morning who may be praying for things in their life. Would you move on their behalf? I stand with them and believe that you can do the impossible, that there's nothing too big for you. And I pray for our church this morning, Father, that you would begin to send men, women, and students and children that you would draw people to our church, not so that we could brag about how many people attend our church, Lord, but so that we can create a different culture in this community that's not driven by the desires of man and the successes of man, but it's driven by the grace of a loving God, the hope that's found in Jesus Christ, that you would send men and women who 
don't know you, that would come to know you in this area, that you would send men and women who love you passionately, that feel called to help us do what you've called us to do, that you would send students who have influence on their friends and teammates at school, that you would send children who develop a compassion for their friends and families. I pray that this community will be transformed by the work of God through Synergy Church, that we would begin to experience an abundant blessing, an overflow of God, a movement that can't be explained by a decision or a strategy or a talent or a gift, but can only be described as a move of God that, that your favor rested on a group of people who trusted you to accomplish the impossible, who weren't content with simply existing and going through the motions, but who wanted to see you make an incredible difference in this world. And I pray that you would honor our 21 days of prayer and fasting and that you would move on our behalf, that we would steadfastly trust you and believe you even when things seem difficult. I pray that you move in our midst, Father, that you stir the hearts of men, that you stir the hearts of women, that you stir the hearts of students and children, that we would passionately unite around a mission to see you do the impossible. And in advance, Lord, we thank you for that. And we give you all the glory for every person that will attend this church, who will make a decision to follow you in this church, who will take a step to start serving in this church, who will take a step to start giving in this church, who will take a step to officially become a partner of this church, who will take a step to commit their life to the mission of this church, not because of any persuasive words that are said, but because you are drawing the hearts of men and women, and we believe you for that. That in just a few short months, we're going to have 225 plus people attending on a given Sunday, and that seems hard to see, but Father, we believe you for that. We trust you for that. We trust you that there'll be a hundred people this year that will give their lives to Jesus Christ. We believe that there'll be 75 people who will serve on a given Sunday because our volunteers have grown and, and people are committed to seeing God do what he's called us to do in this area, that we'll have a hundred people commit to joining our church family. I pray, Father, that we'll start receiving more giving so that we can move into a permanent facility and begin to have a home and a base for our ministry. I pray that you would grant us land and favor and resources, that you can send millions of dollars to accomplish your will in the earth. And we simply say that we desire to receive that. And we long to be faithful and we trust that you're great enough to move on our behalf. We pray that men and women and students would connect in groups, Father, that church wouldn't just be a place that we attend, but church will be a place that we belong, that we care for one another, that we love one another, that we have relationships that are rooted through those groups that help us grow and help us care for one another. And above all else, Father, I pray that we would be a church that honors you, that stays true to the mission that you've called us to, and is focused on seeing you move in this land. We believe you for it. We thank you for it. We give you the glory for it. And together we celebrate what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.